Morning, Miss Yale. Happy New Year. Scripture reading today is in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign residing in your towns. For in the sixth For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thanks, Julie. Good morning. My name is Lydia Foreman. I'm one of the pastors here, as Heather mentioned. Yeah, my role is going to be transitioning out of kids and family and into discipleship and education, which I just wanted to briefly say that I am really stoked about. Um, But if you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out. Happy to talk further about that. Um, I wanted to give a little shout out to those of you who have embarked on the uh, ambitious but annual uh, ambition of uh, reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, So if you have done that, you're still in Genesis 2. So well done there. Uh, If it gets rough in the next couple of months when you hit Leviticus, happy to take late late night phone calls to get you through that. But just wanted to say, don't be discouraged. Well done. Um, Even though we may have put our Christmas trees on the street and put your decorations away in the attic or garage or whatever, that was me. It's actually still Christmas tide in the church calendar. Yes. <laughs> and if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard Johnny speak about how uh, the Christmas season is about receiving the gift of Jesus. And in both the person and the work of Jesus, we know finally what love looks like. And so essentially, we've been given the gift of love. And we know from 1 John that love isn't just one attribute of God, but God is love itself, is what he tells us. And in the person of Jesus, we can actually see what that looks like. So John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So we've been given the free gift of Jesus, this gift of love, but the way gifts work, we can either receive them or not. As Johnny said on Christmas Eve, it can sit on a shelf and grow stale. Who got exercise equipment for Christmas? Raise your hand. I did. (laughs) Apparently, I'm the only one that has goals of getting fitter in the new year. Um, But, you know, we can get a Peloton bike for Christmas and be absolutely thrilled with the look of it, sitting in our living room, fully assembled, and we can fantasize about being the kind of person that has the discipline to get up every day at 5.30 and get on it and ride it. And we can be in love with the thought of all the benefits it will bring us, right? 
we'd be in more shape, we'd be in shape more, we would be healthier, we'd have stronger cardiovascular, right? But if we don't get on it every day, it's a relatively useless large hunk of metal. And this could be the case with us, with Jesus, not to compare Jesus to a Peloton, but maybe at some point we were on fire for Jesus, or even now we are compelled by the idea of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We long to be someone who is genuinely kind and loving and puts others before themselves. And sometimes we'll see others around us who resemble Jesus, who actually look like Jesus in the way they treat everyone. And we dream about what it would look like to be a non-anxious presence in a stressful situation. Or the kind of person who everyone knows they can turn to in a crisis because they just exude joy and peace in circumstances where it just doesn't even make sense. And while we would say that we love Jesus, we may have never really taken any steps to make room for him, as the Christmas carol goes, prepare him room to change our lives in any meaningful way. And so we look at ourselves, and we may even call ourselves Christ followers, but then we don't really look at anyone, we don't look at different from anyone around us who's also struggling. But if you feel this way, you're not alone. And if you feel this way, don't be discouraged. If you're frustrated by this lack of change, be of good cheer, be of good hope. This is a good thing because it's the first step in your spiritual formation journey. And the good news is that everything that you need has already been accomplished in the work of the incarnation of Jesus. You don't have to earn anything. Let me say that again. You don't have to earn anything. All that you need is to accept the gift of grace to embrace it. But as Dallas Willard, great Christian philosopher, says, grace is not opposed to effort. And so these efforts or spiritual formation practices, this is what we're going to be focusing on here at Missio during the winter season in the, se in the series that we're calling Spark, as Heather mentioned. So each Sunday, we're going to be exploring a different spiritual practice. And in the journals, which hopefully you picked up here or outside those doors, you're going to be able to find scripture, uh, quotes, uh, reflection questions, and they're going to be centered around these teachings that you'll get every Sunday. And then during the week, you're going to have additional ways to engage in those practices through the form of podcasts or worship nights or classes, whatever. So today, for our first our first practice that we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at, of all things, rest. And while I knew I'd be preaching on this topic at some point during the series, I actually didn't know it was going to be January 2nd that I'd be talking about it. And I just put that down to the genius of Heather and Johnny and the Holy Spirit, who we trust is orchestrating all these things behind the scenes. But I really, really love that this worked out this way because... Right now, more than any other time of the year, as you're probably aware, our culture is beckoning us, as it does every year, to take on habits, to slim down, to hustle more, to finally get organized so that this can be your year. This can be your year to finally get what you've wanted. You've probably seen this on the check-it aisle in your grocery stores, on the covers of magazines, different tips, habits, whether it be the job that you've always wanted or the body you've been after, whatever it is, 
Our American culture says that if you want it badly enough, it's yours for the taking. It's just up to you to work for it and eliminate the people or the things that are standing in your way of getting, getting them. Now, don't get me wrong, you probably sense that I'm, I'm having a negative attitude towards this, but I'm not saying that it's bad to work for things. The acquisition of new jobs, new dreams, healthier bodies, homes, cars, those things are not the issue. The problem lies when we become enslaved in our pursuit of those things. Because we are humans and we're limited, and our desires for even good things can become misaligned, we end up taking it to the extreme. So even in our pursuit of good things, like this doesn't have to be Ferraris, not that a Ferrari isn't a good thing, it's a great car, but it doesn't have to be like material things. This can be like a ministry pursuit. This can be family goals, health goals, good things. Even in our pursuit of good things, we push ourselves and others to perform and produce to levels that we were just not designed to do. And in the process, we end up enslaving ourselves and others. And if you live in modern American culture, which is probably everyone in this room, this is an extremely difficult thing to resist. And so, in the face of this message, I want to proclaim Sabbath rest, something as old as the beginning chapters of Genesis, as countercultural resistance. Now, that may sound kind of silly to you, kind of like saying that a nap is revolutionary. But think about it, just for a second. Who doesn't feel a measure of discomfort or even guilt when you hear that word, like rest? Like, we know we're made for work, yes? And we get itchy and restless if we go too long without doing something. Like, you may be experiencing that right now. Like, we've had a long Christmas break. If your kids have been out of school, you're like, all right, I want to get back in a routine. So you're probably happy to do that. So we get the idea that we are designed to work, but it feels wrong to say that we're made to rest. And even if you know you need a rest, and maybe you've enjoyed it in the moment, maybe this has been a really great time for you, there's kind of that slight twinge of guilt that you feel that comes with it, especially when you're emerging out of it. Like tomorrow, you're like, oh my gosh, oh, I kind of wish I hadn't taken that break. I'm going to have a million emails to deal with. This to-do list is going to be huge. I struggle with this a lot personally, and not because I'm some kind of like workaholic trying to climb the corporate ladder. Obviously, I'm a pastor. But my point is, this can be an issue anywhere. So speaking personally, I feel like this past year, and maybe you can relate, I've been incredibly tired and burned out because I felt like I was never doing the right thing at the right time. I don't know if you can relate to this. But like as I've confessed to my husband and to Heather and to other friends, I always felt like I was kind of running on 10%. Like, you know how when your phone gets really, really hot, um, you've got a million tabs open, whatever analogy you want to use. Like, that's how I felt. Like, when I was cleaning up the house, I felt guilt because I wasn't attending to, like, work duties. Or if I was engaged in work, I felt bad for not being, like, present with my family. Or if I was with my family having a good time, I felt like, oh, my house is a disaster. I'm a failure as a housekeeper. But to be clear, no one put this pressure on me, not Johnny or Heather or my husband, or my kids, although maybe my kids, kids can be demanding. Uh, but it felt like someone or something was always kind of secretly whispering to me, like, you're not doing enough. 
you're never doing the right thing, you should really be working on this. Even though I felt like I was constantly multitasking and rushing through everything. And so rather than finding satisfaction and fulfillment from any of my work or joy and beauty in any of my rest, I found myself in this sort of endless cycle of fatigue of both mind, body, and soul. So Rich Velotis describes this phenomena in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, which if you're looking for like a good companion to this uh, the series that we're doing and just kind of want to learn a little bit more about spiritual practices, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's extremely accessible. Um, hopefully it's burning your mind, this really bright color. Um, but he describes this phenomenon in the deeply formed life. And he notes how we push everything to its limit. Like we push our bodies, of course. We work long hours. We constantly caffeinate. We push our minds to the limit by bombarding ourselves with information at all hours of the day with our phones. And then we push our souls to the limit as well, which is something that may sound a little like new to you, but we rarely take time to take stock of our souls and to examine them in the presence of Jesus. And so this is why we so desperately need to practice Sabbath rest. In a culture that says, go, 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 side hustle the heck out of your life, achieving your goals and your dreams is the best thing you can do regardless of you know, who or what you sacrifice in the process, scripture tells us to stop. Because our God, the God of the universe no less, both modeled for us and commanded us to make a regular habit of dropping everything we're doing and enjoy his creation. Now, for many of us, when we heard that passage read earlier in Exodus 20, which is part of the Ten Commandments, we think like, here we go with the rules. Like, if you're a Christian, you may be thinking, well, like, this is the part that I'm not so jazzed about. Like, I love Jesus. Give me all the Jesus. Please, with the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments, not thrilled. Or, if you're not a Christian, but you're at least not totally turned off by the idea of Jesus, you may be thinking, well, this is what I thought. People told me it wasn't about a list of rules, that it was about a person, and here we are, just as I suspected, bait and switch, right? But before you completely tune me out for the rest of the sermon, let me give you, let me, give me the chance to give you a little background on the Sabbath command. So you may not know, or maybe you knew at one point, but you've forgotten, the Ten Commandments appear twice in the Old Testament. So it's in Exodus 20, um, which is part of what we read earlier, but then they're repeated again in Deuteronomy 5. Now, they're all there in both versions. The wording is slightly different. And if there had been more time, I would have read both, uh, both versions of the Sabbath command that appears in both chapters, but it's January 2nd. Let's go, let's go easy. But what's interesting about the Exodus and the Deuteronomy versions of the Sabbath command is that they are rooted in different motivations, meaning the reasoning or the logic behind keep the Sabbath holy is slightly different. So the motivation for the Exodus version, which you may have picked up on earlier, it reads thus, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't do any work, etc. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Do you hear that? It harkens back to the creation story. Now, the motivation for the Deuteronomy version, it reads like this. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And here's the motivation. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Different, right? It harkens back to a totally different story. It harkens back to the story of the Exodus. Same rule, different motivation. In Exodus, the idea is tied to God's work in creation and is presented to us as a model with respect to our own creative endeavors. Rest after you work. In Deuteronomy, it's tied to God's work in delivering the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And it's presented to us as a model with respect to how we treat others and how to honor them. So one is rooted in God's act of creation. The other is in God's act of liberation. Both are in response to two of God's mighty acts and how he himself behaves. Now, the logic behind the Exodus version, as I said, is found in the creation story, so, which is found in the book of Genesis. For those of you who have started reading the Bible of the year, you know this. You just, you just finished that. It should be fresh on your minds. And if we hear that, here's the words from, this, from that creation story. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Kind of repetitive language, but you get, this hopefully is familiar. But what we get here is a portrait of a God who rests. Of all things, he takes the time to rest. Later in Exodus 31, when it's talking about this story, it reiterates that God rested on the seventh day, but it adds a little, little something. It reads, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I love that little detail. The Hebrew word here for that word, refreshed, it's related to the Hebrew word for soul. Nefesh is how you say it in Hebrew. And so it's kind of like the Lord was resold. Folks, the Lord lacks nothing. So if he models for us rest and refreshment for our souls, we should heed him. <laughs> Amen? In keeping the Sabbath, we actually model our creator who rests. And it's interesting because in resting, we are actually reflecting the image of God. Like most of the time we think about humans uh, and the Imago Dei, us reflecting God's glory, we think of it in our ability to reason or to make moral judgments or creative endeavors, our ability to make beautiful things. But according to Exodus 20, it's actually revealed best in our ability to keep Sabbath, that is to rest. I think that's so interesting. So Rabbi Abraham Heschel, he wrote a really lovely slim volume called The Sabbath, which if you're interested in this topic, could not think of a better uh, source for you. He notes that the first time that the word holiness is used in the Bible is with respect to not a place, not a thing, not a mountain or a river, which would have been common in sort of an ancient culture, but to time, the seventh day, the Sabbath. 
And he says this, the Sabbath serves as a reminder of the two worlds, this world and the world to come. For the Sabbath is joy, holiness, and rest. Joy is part of this world. Holiness and rest are of the world to come. And so to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it, does not mean to merely obey the strictness of the commandment, but to celebrate, celebrate the creation of the world and actually create the seventh day over again. Now, that's the Exodus version. If the Exodus version says, keep the Sabbath holy, and by doing so, you actually celebrate God's mighty act of creation, the Deuteronomy version says, keep the Sabbath, and by doing so, you celebrate God's mighty act of liberation. So, in the Deuteronomy version, it says, to give your servants rest, because remember, you were a slave in Egypt, which God delivered you from. And so then, Sabbath is sort of like a practice and kind of like a, a mini reenactment of the Exodus story. By putting up boundaries around the work we do and ask others who are under our authority to do, it reminds us that our lives as humans are not defined by our work alone. It's a way of saying no to the empire. Rather than just being like a boring, burdensome rule to follow, this is a gift both to ourselves and to others and a reminder of our true value as humans. So with the Sabbath command, the Lord actually provides a safeguard against unrelenting labor on ourselves and those under our charge. Remember when I said that humans are really bad at this? We can't help ourselves. <laughs> like our desires may start out good, but so quickly they get misaligned. And so in God's wisdom, he knew that we needed this command to remind us that while work is good and we were created for it, it only has its benefits when placed within the appropriate context of God's ordering. So Sabbath actually protects us from the oppression that comes from endless toil. One of my favorite Old Testament scholars, uh, Patrick Miller, he argues this point really well, and he says, the issue isn't about, like, doing the work, but it's about making sure that it does not go on all the time, and that you may let it go, and let it go regularly. Because to push yourself and, to, and others into relentless labor, that's the way of Egypt. That's the way of empire, the way of oppression. After God heard the cry of his people when they were under, in slavery in Egypt, and he delivered them, he established a new rhythm, that of work and rest under God's rule. That would apply to everyone. It would apply to the Israelites, but also their servants, and you heard that earlier, their animals, foreigners that were living in their midst, so people who weren't necessarily worshiping Yahweh, their God, and even the land itself would be permitted rest, because this was part of God's design. And so, when we make a practice of truly stopping our work, we're saying that both uh, ourselves and those who are under our authority are more than what we do. Because when you're in slavery, all that matters about you is how much you can produce, how efficiently, and how fast. This is why, this, this is why we need this commandment. Because to get into this cycle does violence to the image of God. And God does not take that lightly. Humans have value and purpose apart from what they're able to produce. 
So if we don't take time to regularly rest, we'll lose perspective of our true significance. Sabbath reminds us that we're not in control as well. And so by creating boundaries where we step away, we are communicating the truth to ourselves and to the world that I'm achieving nothing, I'm getting nothing done, I'm not being productive, and God loves me anyway. That's where my real value lies. And so I know for many of us, this is incredibly hard to do. There's always one more thing to do, right? Like one last email to respond to, one last basket of laundry to put away. And we like to kid ourselves that there's an end to this to-do list when we know in reality that's not the case. You probably are familiar with this tweet that went around for a while. I remember it. It says, being an adult is just saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit again and again and again until you die. <laughs> and we all saw it, right? And we laughed and we related to it because that's how we all live. That's how we all talk to each other when we ask how we're doing. We're like, ah, it'll slow down in a few weeks. But the truth is, we'll never finish it all. We will leave this world with unfinished work. But when we practice Sabbath, we keep that ever before us, regularly before us. Now, there's a temptation, again, because we're silly little humans that have trouble keeping things in perspective, bless our hearts, to start viewing the Sabbath as a day where we just catch up on rest, right? So that we can resume our work again with gusto. So American of us, right? And I feel like even our culture has kind of even grown self-aware a bit, like, to our, about our, our work ethic, maybe thanks to Gen Z in part, who's trying to slow us down. Like this point, we know the statistics about burnout and how we don't take enough vacation, et cetera, et cetera. Like we know our tendencies. And on the one hand, that's great. Like we know we need rest and maybe we even make an effort to start cultivating it. We all know the word self-care. Like that is way more prevalent in our everyday parlance than it used to be like 10 years ago. And I looked it up. Like, the self-care industry is huge. It's actually $450 billion. I mean, it's, it's mega. But even with that, we still end up managing to make it about productivity. Like, get refreshed so that you can take on the day. And it may not even be about, like, you know, something old school like climbing the corporate ladder. It could be just about, like, you know, building your personal brand or something like that. But either way, it ultimately is about, again, what we can achieve, what we can make of ourselves. Again, to quote Abraham Heschel, he argues that the Sabbath is not simply the day where we recharge our batteries for the week ahead so that we can simply enhance our efficiency. Rather, he says, and I love this, the Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It's not an interlude, but the climax of living. What a different perspective. As I said at the beginning, I want to propose viewing Sabbath keeping as an act of resistance. And for ancient Israel, it really was that. It was a very public identity marker to themselves, to their communities, but to the nations around them rooted in the two big stories from the Old Testament, creation and the Exodus. And the Sabbath, perhaps 
contrary to popular belief, it was not really a day to perform uh, worship rituals. This is kind of what we might assume automatically, but it wasn't. It was literally a day for a total cessation of work as unto the Lord. Because by stopping all work on this day, Israel was declaring to the world around them that they do not have to succumb to the demands of empire, which they had to do when they were in slavery in Egypt. And that was a bold and a risky move for them to make. It required trust in the Lord's provision. And later, within other historical contexts, uh, that refusal to work would incur a lot of wrath from the empires that they were under, the new empires they were under. Now, for us today, in our own context, it looks a little different. For most of us in America today, we are our own slave masters. We live under the tyranny of our phones, our work, our schedules, our own pressures to perform, our identities that we curate. And while hopefully we're not literally enslaving people under us, we treat them as objects and obstacles when they don't perform as fast or efficiently as we'd like. It's the reason I snap at my kids when they're taking too long to get ready, not abiding by my schedule. It's the reason that we bark at our coworkers when they're slowing us down. We treat them as obstacles in the way of our accomplishments. And it's not just rude when we do that, but we're actually doing violence to the image of God. And we do the same to ourselves when we subject ourselves to endless labor and we keep kidding ourselves that next month it'll all slow down. Then I'll take a rest. Then I'll take a vacation. Then I'll take a break. Rather than practicing truth, saying every week for 24 hours, I can step away. The world can go on without me. And so, Missio, I want to encourage you on this second day of 2022 to start to resist the culture around us and begin to think about taking Sabbath more seriously. And by that, I don't mean don't go to the movies or eat out at restaurants or do yard work or ski. Rest is going to look different from, for all of us. And the last thing I want you to take away from this is like added burdens. Remember the words of Jesus when he rebuked uh, the Pharisees, when they saw them and the disciples gathering grain on the Sabbath. You remember what he says? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a commandment, yes, but it's a gift. And our God models and commands us to rest because he loves us and wants us to slow down. Not so that we can accomplish more, but so that we can bask in his love and remember that we are his. Because this is where our true identity is found. Not in what we make, but in who we are, his beloved sons and daughters. And so, I charge you guys, find a regular time each week to step away from all work, step away from your phones even, and intentionally engage in things that bring you joy and rest and make us more present to the Lord and to the people in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, Missio, let's pray before we come to the table, if you would. Jesus, you know our tendencies. You know that we push our frail bodies and minds to the limits. And we push others in our lives around us as well. 
when they get in the way of what we want to achieve and accomplish for ourselves. In your wisdom, you gave us the gift of Sabbath. And thank you for this gift. Thank you for this reminder. Help us to begin this year by, of all things, making a habit of rest. Resting in your goodness, in your provision, and trusting that everything that we need has already been taken care of. We just need to learn to lean into your grace, Jesus. We ask this all in your powerful name. Amen.